Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Mudgear Battle Alliance Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Paris. I got a guest with me on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Hylete. If you haven't tried Hylete, you need to pick up some of their stuff. I literally own, I think, everything head to toe Hylete um, in some form or fashion. You know, they have shoes, uh, their sneakers, which I just picked up uh, around Christmas time. They have socks. Uh, their pants are like the softest things in the world. I own several of those uh, T-shirt. Their hoodies are soft. And they're great for co-branding too. So you can actually like screen print a logo on there and uh, has minimal branding on there. So that's what we actually use for, that's what we use for the CTG pro team. That's what we use for the Mudgear Battle of the Lions pro team in 2022. And uh, just a lot of great stuff on their product. I have several of their bags, which I think they might be discontinuing. Um, So if you don't own one of those bags and want to get one, I would head over to their website ASAP. All right, let's get to today's guest. So speaking of Mudgear Battle of the Lions, I have the newest teammate for there uh thomas plush thomas welcome hey thanks for having me cool now i haven't heard you on a lot of or i don't think i've heard you on any podcast before so we're gonna we're gonna get to know you a little bit better um but you know you've been uh racing throughout the midwest for a couple years now uh getting on the podium so local brands been on the podium of ctg a couple times uh, in 2019 and 2020 and then um usually just off the podium in uh, mudgear battle of the lions in addition to winning some local OCRs throughout the Midwest. But the thing you're probably best known for, and um, I think people have been standing next to you on start lines before and not known you by name, but they'll know you now, is you sometimes run barefoot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of my, uh, actually my first race, uh, CTG in, I want to say 2017, it started off, you ran straight in the river, and you go through the woods, you come out, you go back into some water, you come out. And I thought I was going to tear a knee up, uh, just sliding around all over the place. I got to cliffhanger and I said, the hell with it. I took my shoes off, took my socks off. And uh, growing up, I had the nickname The Hobbit. Because whether we were playing in the street, playing football, uh, I was barefoot. I even kicked uh, field goals for our high school team barefoot. And uh, so I went with it and I felt better, lighter, um, felt like I had more grip on some of the obstacles that require your hands and feet. Mm. Um, even though some of them, you do kind of have a disadvantage uh, with the bare feet. Um, but gotcha. the, first, any, the first time I remember seeing you, I think it was, I want to say it might have been Wichita 20, I'm going to go 18. And I remember getting on the start line and, you know, there's a guy like a couple spots down, it's you and you're barefoot. And I'm like, what the, what is going on here? It's like, this is not going to go well. And the race started and you took off and I was like, huh, this guy can run. And for the first mile, uh, you were ahead of me. And then I eventually caught up uh, at some point during the race. But the, I was like, Oh, this guy's like a legit runner. This is, this is surprising. I was not expecting this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a gamble. Cause, uh, it, it could take one thing on the course to ruin almost your whole race. Uh, the battle of the lions, the strength one, I was actually feeling great doing well. I was going to make my push at the end and I stepped on a rock just awkwardly right in the center of your foot. And for the rest of the race, I mean, it felt like it was broken. Oh. I just had to run on the my toes, which I was able to keep a 
fair speed, but I wasn't able to do my uh, classic sprint at the end to try and leap up into the podium. But it's, you know, risk reward. I kind of try and get a hold of the race organizers and see what they think. And I'll make my decision if I should run barefoot or not. If my biggest um, thing that would keep me from running barefoot is stickers, rocks, sticks, water, all that, no problem. Uh, stickers in the foot, that's going to slow me down. Yeah. Yeah. That, like that would have been there. Uh, we did the Hannibal race in Lebanon and that one I had um, like thorns all through my feet after that one. And then the one in Texas, uh, the USOCR championships, the one year they did it in 2017, um, mm-hmm. I was pulling out like thorns from my feet for, I mean, weeks after that one. So yeah, that would have yeah, been, been, that would have been a easy shoe race. Yeah. So, you know, you've highlighted that there, you know, there's some benefits, right? Cause you have less physical weight on your foot. So that's less rotating weight, which means you can physically move your legs faster and requires less energy uh, and some of the negatives. Mm-hmm. So obviously stepping on sharp things or, you know, a foot injury, you know, why, why do you run barefoot? It's just where I feel faster and natural. Um, and I know I've been watching some uh, speed channels and, a lot of runners think that you need these marathon shoes with lots of cushion, but a lot of speed coaches say the more cushion you have between your foot and the ground, uh, the less natural your run is. And, you know, we all think we need that for to protect our knees and, you know, our joints and ligaments, but our bodies were meant to run uh, without a shoe. So like my balance is awful. Uh, if you were to run and bump into me at full speed, I'd probably go tumbling. So gauntlets notorious for having a lot of balance obstacles and with a shoe, uh, slack line and kind of things I'm not as good at, uh, even that two by four across the water barefoot, I can go right across it. And I really don't have a lot of feeling on the bottom anymore. I think I've developed enough callus over the years. Um, Even the Oklahoma race where you're running on the rocks, the gravel at the end there really didn't give me too much issues. Gotcha. You don't have to worry about Go for it. You don't have to worry about your shoelaces, your feet getting, you know, getting sticks in your shoes. Um, having all that water weight, I just, I don't feel natural. I don't feel good. You feel good. You race good. That's true. That's true. I was going to say you were also the first person to run OCR world championships, um, barefoot. And, uh, we had, we had another guy, actually a guy from strength and speed, Thomas Knight, who ended up running barefoot. Um, I guess he was the second person to run barefoot. So what yep, was, when I, what was that? When like? I saw him, uh, I was excited at the beginning. Cause I was like, did I say Matt, um, Thomas? Did I say Matthew Knight or Thomas Knight? Matthew Knight, yeah. Okay, yeah, I said yeah, Matthew Knight. So I was excited at first because uh, I was running with the pros. I knew I wasn't in a podium, um, and the course looked fairly good for uh, running barefoot. And I was like, in London, I tried to do it, but I, I did the whole ask permission first. Mm. And uh, the gal, what's her name? Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Ann. Uh, yes. She said no, uh, <laughs> even though it's not in the rule book. I checked, I read it all. 
it's not in the rule book, but she said I will be in trouble if I did it there. So uh, London, I was wanting to do it, couldn't do it. I did it on the short or the hundred meter though in London, which was fun, but I slid a lot. So this time around, instead of asking for per- permission, I was going to ask for forgiveness. It's not in the rule book. They can't do anything if I didn't ask. So I took him off, getting warmed up. I saw Matthew and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Someone else is going to take this uh, title of beat me to it because I thought it'd be cool to be the first one to run one of these races barefoot. And he starts lining up and all I had on my mind was I got to beat him. (laughs) That way I can take, (laughs) I don't even care about the race. I got to beat him and take this title. So uh, he doesn't know, but I was racing against him the whole time (laughs) and nobody else. That's really funny. And he started, uh, he's a heck of a runner. He started creeping up on me and I thought, there ain't no way this guy has got the same feet. Like he's got every bit of the same, if not more. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. And then he did it on the 15K. Oh, wow. So did you just do the 3K or you did the 15K and and the 3K? Barefoot. Uh, So I, I just did the 3K. Uh, I wanted to do the 15K, but I was doing the team race on Sunday with Josh and James, and I could already tell they were concerned with me doing the 3K barefoot because, you know, one little mishap and I ruined their race. Right. As a, you know, as a team player, it's not right for me to take a risk that can hurt the team. So I did the 3K because I felt like it'd be safe. The 15K I wanted to, but... I had to put the team first on that one. And so I took the safe route and ran it with shoes. Although the course definitely would have been doable barefoot, if not even better, because I fell all over the place coming down that mountain. Yeah. And you and uh, you're talking about Josh and James are the, the white brothers. Anyone who goes to the Midwest knows them bald head, super fast. Uh, how'd you guys end up doing? I know you competed in the open division of the team world championships, right? Yeah. So uh, they actually, they invited me about six months before the race. And uh, first it sounded cool. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Then leading up to it, I was like, I really don't want to do three straight races, three straight days. Um, That's going to be like my last full day and I want to enjoy it. You know, Uh, in London, we'd always fly out the day after the race. And so we planned a trip to specifically have a free day at the end. So I was kind of hoping actually that they were going to cancel and go, well, we're just going to do the three and the 15 K. So I messaged them like two weeks, a week before the race. Cause I didn't really hear from them. I was like, are we doing the team race? Yep. I was like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. So, uh, I think there was 60, 70 teams. And I was looking at the strategy beforehand and, you know, you had the strength, the grip, and the endurance. And I thought, obviously, I should do the strength. Um, that's what I'm best at, or even the grip. But on the 15K, I'm not too good with the low rigs. I can get through them, but I'm slow. Um, so I really thought about it, and endurance is actually my weakest point. But... On the map, it looked like it was just going to be kind of a sprint up the mountain. 
four obstacles and a sprint down. So roughly a 10, 15 minute um, portion. So I told him at first I was going to be the strength and we're going to have like Josh on the endurance, but I saw I could probably give us the best chance if I actually did the endurance because that 10 minutes of sprinting, I was pretty confident I could beat out anyone running with me. Uh, that's how I train is CrossFit. So just high intensity, 10 to 30 minutes of as hard as I can. And I felt like that was going to mirror it perfectly. So I ran up the mountain and I think I had about 50 feet on the next closest guy, which was Matthew Knight, the barefoot hmm. runner too. So we get to the four up top and, you know, being from Kansas, I've never ran down a hill or a mountain or trained anything like it. So that's completely new to me, uh, technique I'm running down. I actually fell again about halfway. Matthew caught up and he passed me towards about, I don't know, football, maybe two football fields away from, uh, James or no Josh who was going to take the next portion so I beat out everyone but Matthew and I was confident I didn't even sleep the night before because I knew if I could just come out in the lead in my portion that them two could do their part and that we would win uh they actually both podium well no I take that back James podium I think he actually took first in his age group no Josh took third so Josh took third in his age group and James took first in his age group um, on the 15K. Yeah, they're both, they're both very fast. Um, yeah, yeah, 45 years old and they don't show it. <laughs> no, no, they don't. So anything, their, their obstacle proficiency is sometimes hit or miss. So um, Whenever they're at a Midwest race, if, they, if the obstacles are easy, I'm, I'm a little worried. If the obstacles are a little more difficult, I, I can relax a little bit. But they're, uh, a lot of times they're ahead of me until we start hitting some of the more technical obstacles. Yep, that's what I rely on when I see them. I was like, I hope we have something to slow them down. Yeah. So. Cool. And then what did you, you guys end up finishing first in the Open, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was gut-wrenching uh waiting for james to pop out of the woods so me and josh and james could do the final portion and uh we knew that second place he was a pro uh he had long hair i don't know his name very vocal though uh tall and he was running his portion alongside with james and i knew that they were fairly close and he had a lot of speed so Josh and I were nervous waiting. We see James pop out. We're ready. Uh, I just got tunnel vision. I sprinted. Uh, got to uh, the village. I can't remember what that first, like, real technical obstacle. Urban yeah, Sky? Yeah. Yeah, so I get there before uh, even Josh and James, and I'm sitting there, heart is pounding. I was like, and they're yelling at me, you can't go till your team's here. And, man, uh, I like those kind of moments. Give me the ball when the game's on the line. I like the pressure. Um, 
just like in the gauntlets coming up on Pegatron at the very end, fifth place, leapfrog two of the guys. I like being in that neck and neck, even though uh, Brent, he had his uh, first first place gauntlet by one second. <laughs> and uh, he had a pretty sizable lead on me until we got to that Pegatron at the end. And then we were neck and neck all the way till uh, the very last uh, slide. I can't remember what that's called. Yeah, torpedo. Yeah, torpedo. Yeah. He got the inside lane with his bigger body and kind of took me on that one. But Nice. Cool. So let's back up in time a little bit um, because uh, I think some people don't know much about you. So tell us a little bit about you know, kind of how you found OCR. You know, do you play high school sports? Um, do you play sports after high school, et cetera? Uh, yeah, so I played a little bit of football, soccer, um, actually paintball. Uh, that was kind of my odd sport. Oh, nice. Uh, we went to the World Cup for that, too, uh, back in 2010. They didn't fare too well, but in the Midwest, we were a pretty good team. Uh, Edge Army, so the Edge Paintball was our sponsor here in Wichita. And it was just too time-consuming very expensive that's what i was gonna uh, say it's expensive because i mean you just you're literally just shooting money down the every time you squeeze the trigger oh you know? yeah and in, in order to win you have to pretty much continuously shoot i mean yeah, it's, it's like a chess chess game with guns yeah it's essentially i mean there are people laying down suppressive fire almost the entire time right so like you have oh, people yeah, shooting would. non-stop yeah so they were capped at like 13 balls a second tournament play when I left and each pod would hold, I don't know, 150, 180 paintballs. I'd carry five pods on me and I could blow them all in two minutes. Um, games were generally two to five minutes uh, just because it's such a quick pace. Uh, once you can get that advantage, one or two guys out on the other side, you push hard and, you know, Strategy game. It's fun. I loved it. But just if you want to win a tournament, a case of $65 for the high-end paint, you'll probably, as a team, a five-man team, you could go through 20 cases. So if you don't win, your sponsors aren't going to support you. So you're eating that cost. So, wow. And so, it took up your whole weekends. Well, and how many matches would you end up playing in like a, in like a tournament? Uh, usually it'd start off round robin. So you would do, if say there's 12 teams, um, you would actually probably play about six of the, them teams. And then it, you get points based off of, there's a flag in the center, you get the flat, there's a hundred max points. Uh, you get the flag in the center, you get 50 points, you hang that flag. It was like 25 or 30 points. And then each player you kill is five points. So there was also that strategy. You could come to the very last uh, match and only need 50 points to win the whole thing. So you didn't have to necessarily win the match. Mm, and uh, so you could run straight off and go grab that flag and go for a suicide run is what they called them. Because uh, once you grabbed it, you won the whole thing. Just oh, nice. Yeah. Continue going. and But, yeah, usually – in a tournament, you'd probably play 10 to 12 at total because they'd have uh, finals. 
So you do the round robin, then every the top teams go to finals, and then so you can dominate through the whole thing, which we have, and then go to finals, and, and you skunk. Um, gotcha. Most of my paintball but, knowledge is about twenty years old, um, but what? Oh, what, come what a long ways. I can't even imagine. Um, but you know, back when I played, it was like the angel was the only electronic gun, and it was it was like a thousand dollars, and I remember. You know, I, I remember looking back at paintball a couple years later, and it was like, oh, everyone's got an electronic gun now. And I was like, what? Um, so oh, yeah. what, what was your, you know, what was your, what gun did you use? And then um, how much does it, how much does the, you know, at that level, how much did the average gun cost with all the accessories, uh, right? Because there's like the hopper that, feed, that feeds the bullets in, and there's, you know, instead of oh, yeah. CO2, you can use nitro, right? So it, it has an even a better shot. You know, give us a little more some product details here so when i started it was kind of the it was when paintball was growing the fastest they had a gun called the ion and it was an affordable electronic reliable gun it was only about 150 bucks new oh and explain explain what electronic means to people for um for like a paintball gun because that might be confusing so it's got a computer basically in it uh it's got eyes that detect the ball once it detects the ball it'll allow it the gun to fire so it also is uh hooked up to a trigger that is i mean you could bump this gun against your leg and it'll fire so triggers are long so you could use two fingers to kind of wiggle back and forth between them and you could easily get 15 20 balls a second uh off a semi-auto so these guns with the computer system it would basically would allow the or try and prevent the gun from, it's called chopping. So as the ball is being fed through, through an electronic hopper that's also um, regulated by a computer system that would feed them into this gun. Once it detects a ball in the chamber, it would fire. If there's no ball in the chamber, it would not fire. So that way you're not, you break a ball in your gun, uh, you're pretty screwed until you get that cleaned up. Uh, but yeah, everything in paintball became more technology. Uh, CO2 went to the nitrogen, which was more efficient, cleaner, wasn't cold. So obviously the cold would not be good for a computer system. And I bought my first gun, Bob Long Protege uh, tournament gun, about 750 bucks. Mm. And that was in probably 2008. So that was a decent amount of money at $7 at minimum wage. Yeah. But if you win tournaments, generally you would win brand new guns, depending on how big the tournament is, would depend how uh, good the gun you would get. So we won our first tournament and it was called the Invert Mini, which was also kind of a new technology where they don't have the hose line that you would commonly see from the tank up yeah. to the handle. It was all internal. So it actually looked like a real gun. Well, not a real gun, uh, but better, uh, yeah, more yeah. efficient because it's all internal. So more slick. And it was probably a $400 gun at that time. And I actually, that became my uh, permanent gun. Just, I loved how light it, I mean, it, it's a mini, it's small. So that's very helpful in a game where 
even just a pinky sticking out can be shot because some of them guys are dead eyes or marksmen. So I like to be as small and um, slim as possible in the tournaments because you'd be amazed what those guys could hit uh, across the field. So I use that at the end of my career. We won, I think, three or four tournaments, had a bunch of podiums, a bunch of near misses. Um, but in all with gear, so your pants would run you a hundred bucks, your Jersey 75 to 150 bucks. Uh, your hopper would run you about 200, your tank, depending on how small that'd be 150, 200 bucks, your gun for most tournament players would be anywhere from the range of 500 to $2,000. Um, I, to me, my $400 mini matched any of them $2,000 guns. Uh, you could get a barrel kit. So paintballs would swell or shrink based off of weather and humidity and even the brand of paintball. So yeah. they'd have barrel kits that you could adjust uh, the bore of the barrel. So that way you'd have more accuracy. Um, outside of that, uh, I guess your face mask. Um, your good face mask would be about a hundred bucks, you know, and there's one of the, the common rule in paintball. It didn't matter how good you played. It mattered how good you look. So you didn't, you wanted the nicer stuff. That's pretty funny. There's, there's actually in, in real combat, it's not that much different. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a running joke that says, um, you know, there are three rules in special forces. One is, um, uh, let's see, let me get them in order. Correct. Uh, don't get lost. Number two is always look cool. And number three is if you do get lost, make sure you look cool still. <laughs> yep. That's, I that goes hand in hand with paintball. So, so, um, th back, but that, and that's go for it. So back to the sports thing too. Um, cause that got kind of off hand. Uh, but back in high school, when I tried to play football, I was 130 pounds, uh, coach told me I was never going to be strong or fast enough to amount to this type of sport. So that kind of motivated me, pushed me. Um, I got to college and I think I ended up being pound for pound, the strongest out of anyone I knew around me in my group. Um, weighed 140 pounds, could squat 400, uh, could bench 285. So I got, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, Mufasa and Simba, when Simba goes, what's that shadowy place? And Mufasa, there's a meme that Mufasa says, that's the cardio equipment. You must never go there. And that was my philosophy. I hated cardio. I hated running. I would jump out in front of a car if I was ever caught running in a street because, uh, kind of my ADHD. I just can't do the same thing over and over and over and enjoy it. So in college, I was just weightlifting, loved it. I got strong. And what brought me to OCR is when I moved back here to Wichita, I was working out with a friend of mine, Greg Shiner, who's also done some of the gauntlets. And I would laugh at him and joke with him because it's like, you're paying 70 bucks to go run on a jungle gym. I was like, dude, if you want to come run on my property, I'll I'll do it for 30 bucks and you can climb all the things you want. So he finally convinced me to do it. 
And I was like, all right, I'll pay the money to go run your little mud run. And I mean, I'm just going to hate it. So trained for it for about a month, maybe two months on the running. And I couldn't do just running. So I got into CrossFit to help get my endurance up. And then uh, my competitive nature, I wasn't just going to do it to have fun. I was going to do it to do the best I could. So the 2017 gauntlet in Wichita, you know, we line up in, I think the first way, the eight or eight thirty wave, it wasn't the elite wave. And it would have been the second open wave because there's people ahead of us. So I had the mindset, I'm going to beat everyone I could and get the best time. And I'm especially going to beat my friends that are there. So, uh, finished the race, completed the whole thing. Uh, it was challenging. I liked it actually, because it wasn't just running. There was challenges in between and it wasn't running for 20, 30 minutes straight. You would pretty much run for two to five minutes before you get to an obstacle, sometimes back to back obstacles. So I took 15th at that one. And I know the total runners doesn't show uh, how many were competitive, but you know, there was like 1400 runners at that race. And it's like, I actually, and the guy that won that race, he only finished in like 49 minutes. I think like it was actually kind of a late time. Which, which year was that? 2017. 2017 Wichita was it you said yeah okay that was the one I was I think that was the one I was in first and uh crossed the rig and when I landed on the rig I stepped on the line like I had one foot on the line and one foot behind the line and I was Mm -hmm. like did that count and the volunteer was like uh and I was like I'll just do it again so the rules say you just have to touch the line you didn't have to like completely clear it so I go Mm -hmm. back to do it and I can't get across like I've pumped my arms out so I went from first and I finished like seventh and Scott Wurzecki, um makes it across on the first try and everyone else got stuck either at Pegatron or something else. And Scott won that one. So yeah, so that yeah. was a, that was, a, that was a, that was an interesting race. Yeah. I, when I saw that, I was like, it wouldn't take much training for me to get up there with the elite pack, but little did I know the elite pack actually pushes more of a, you know, 30 to 38 minute time versus the 49 minute time that year. Cause I was ready next year to win that one. And then I, I saw uh, all you guys finishing in 35, 40 minutes. It's like, okay, I'm going to, this ain't going to be as easy as I thought, but I fell in love with it. I thought I had kind of a, a knack for it, even though endurance is still my weakest point. I'm trying to do all the education and reading I can on, improving that without having to go run 30 miles 40 miles a week like some guys can i should i probably only get about 10 miles uh no i'll probably get 15 miles a week mm-hmm. but ever since then it's taken off it's given me motivation in the gym again because i was losing that not having anything to train for um i was going to college or uh, I was going to play soccer at Fort Hayes, ended up having to need a knee surgery. And then I separated my AC, a grade three, which is a complete separation, uh, all within six months of each other. So kind of ended my athletics there. So I focused on school and enjoying college. And I 
needed something to give me the push to, you know, continue working on myself and staying in the gym and OCR has done that. Yeah. Good stuff. Now I want to jump back to paintball real quick before we transition back to OCR. So one, you know, you listed all those costs. So anyone who that complains about OCR costs, you should check out paintball and then you'll feel better about yourself or triathlon. Those, those two sports are obscenely expensive Two, and one of the things we like to ask people is, you know, tell us something you've learned from a previous sport that you think can, you can apply to obstacle course racing. You know, so is there anything you learned from playing paintball that you think applies to OCR, whether it be train physical training or just mental uh, kind of lessons learned? Um, or something about the business kind of, on the backside of uh, paintball, something like that. Actually, yeah. So strategy, uh, strategies actually lost me more races than not an OCR. Uh, same thing with paintball. Um, it's a hundred percent a chess game. People think you're just going out there, which I got to be specific. I played the speedball, so it's the bunkers that are blown up. It's a mirror course, so both sides are exact. And um, it's not, you know, in the woods, just shooting at each other, which there are woods vault tournaments, but um, that's more of a strategy of patience and, you know, a bigger chess game. The speedball is a lot quicker pace, faster. Uh, you can pretty much see everything in front of you of what's going on. So, yeah, you, you can't just go into every game playing the same way. Um, same thing with OCR. You can't just go sprinting off the beginning. Um, you really need to look at the course and know what's coming and know when to use more of your strength, um, how to play, um, when to make your final push at the end. Because um, just one mistake in either one of those will cause you a, ra cause you a race or cause you a, a championship. In, uh, paintball um you know i take it to like the race against brent and conquer the gauntlet i use the female lane on the tarzan swing that cost me about 45 seconds uh, mm. i had to go back kind of get my strength back and then go back through so a race that you lost by one second you know 45 seconds is a big deal and then yeah. also the endurance race with battle of the lions did not have my, and uh, the night before I had a couple beers with, uh, it was a work party and shouldn't have done it because didn't think of the strategy portion of it's going to be hot. It's going to be 15 miles. Um, you know, the day before that I ran 10 miles, felt great, had a good pace, could easily have gone 10 more. So same thing, battle of lions, went through the first lap, feeling great. Uh, in that second lap on the obstacles, the pressure of the, the weave that they got on my calf, yeah, I'm, the race was over. Um, at that point, I just started cramping throughout both legs, went to my arms, my stomach, everything was cramping and, uh, nutrition, you know, you gotta be hydrated. You gotta have your nutrition. You can't have those beers the night before. Yeah, and it that was a really showed, hot day too. Yeah, it showed you guys that were prepared. I, obviously, you were prepared and passed me on that second lap. And 
I mean, you guys knew what was coming and even though if it would have been perfect conditions where I was ready, I felt like I was going to do great because I had no issues endurance wise and strength wise at race. Just. Yeah. That body beat me that, that one, uh, the battle lines endurance and the CTG this year were both nutrition games uh, just because the weather was hot and the, uh, the sun was like really beating down on both of those races and there was very little shade, right? So you, it really took a toll on you. Um, you know, I, both those races, I, I was kind of not, I wasn't feeling good for almost the entire race. And, um, it's just that everyone else felt worse, um, except two people mm-hmm. in battle of the lines, but yeah, it's, uh, that, that was definitely, both of those were nutrition, nutrition games. So, um, not to mention that a mile long bucket carry. That I did that, twice. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so if you uh, if you it's, saw a random bucket at the bridge that you that we originally were going to the first lap, uh, right before you made that turn, final turn with the bucket to go drop it off, there was a bucket out there. Yeah, that was my bucket because apparently I didn't get the memo that everyone else did, and I mm. ran the second lap with the bucket, and then luckily there were some good sports behind me. Uh, Matt, he's on that uh, yeah, pro Matt, OCR team. Matt can't be on. Grit yeah. fitness. Uh, he was yelling at me about a football, which I was pretty upset because I had a decent lead on all of them on that second lap at the beginning, and I felt great because I think I was in, like, fourth place, and I was just playing my cards. I had the strategy, third lap, I'm going to pass them. And that bucket just wore me out, and – told me drop the bucket and I dropped it and tried to make up for my time that I lost because I mean I lost about four minutes I was right behind Brent at the beginning of that second lap and I could see him getting kind of fatigued um and even Ban uh he wasn't too far ahead of me and if if anyone strategy if anyone's confused what we're talking about so the battle of the lions it was in like a park kind of area in kansas city for that event um, oh no oklahoma city sorry and uh there was people that were like pulling up some of the course markings um so i can't remember exactly what the problem was i don't know if they pull up part of the course markings or brent who was leading the race at the time just uh wasn't paying attention but we, he basically took all the that's males. more likely i i think it's the latter <laughs> I, I i he basically took all the males on what was supposed to be like a 100 meter not even bucket carry and we literally did a mile I think it was 0.75 is what we, we, we clocked it out at um, like a 0.75 mile long bucket carry. And uh, the women had to do the same thing because they saw what the men were doing and kind of followed. So it was, uh, you know, it was funny. I thought it was funny in hindsight, but uh, actually during, during it, I thought it was, I was like, this is just a really long bucket carry. I guess uh, Dave and Sid are not messing around today. So good stuff. Uh, one more, I just thought of one more quick uh, paintball related question. So, you know, we talked about some of the costs and you mentioned some of the sponsors. What, you know, how do those sponsors reduce costs? Like, do they, do they buy space on Jersey? Do you name the team after them? Like, what did you do to like um, promote those sponsors? You know, was, this is, I think you said it was like around 2008. So, um, you know, were you guys promoting them on social media? Like what's the, what was the me- the method there? So social media wasn't too big back yeah, then with uh, 
uh, me and Nurse Facebook and like MySpace. But uh, basically, we represented the edge. So it's the biggest uh, paintball field in the Wichita area and arguably kind of in the Midwest area, of, not Kansas and uh, whole, but, you know, all the way up to Salina. Um, so for tournaments, there was some reimbursement there um, for placings. Uh, there were some tournaments where he would pay completely for, because entry fee usually was about 120, 100 bucks a person at minimal. Uh, some of the national tournaments could be even more. It could be $1,000 for a team of five to seven players. Uh, paintballs, again, your low-end paint at a tournament was 45, 50. Your high-end, 60, 65. So you usually wanted to shoot the better stuff. Um, the biggest help sponsors gave was the practicing, the field. So we didn't have to pay any entry fee at the local paintball field. We could play woods ball with the rec or the walk-ons is what it was called. Um, even though we were uh, handicapped um, pretty largely because with our play and our style and our equipment, uh, a couple of us could go slaughter 20 walk-ons easy. I mean, you could have three of us tournament players and a bunch of guys and girls that are just out there to have fun and do a weekend warrior kind of thing would wouldn't stand a chance so we would have practice every sunday um our obligation kind of was to set up the speedball field sunday mornings and then take them down um our paint was at his cost so we would pay 15 20 bucks for 2000 paintballs so each practice would usually cost us about 20 bucks. You'd go through a case in a practice. Um, we'd get free air, obviously. So uh, Maddie, who owned the edge, um, one of his best friends was Bob Long, who made uh, oh, one yeah. of the higher end tournament uh, and, paintball guns. So that, we that's, got, that's a pretty big deal. Cause I actually, I know that name. Like, uh, Oh yeah, it was, I mean, that was part of the success of the Edge and the Edge Army was Bob Long. Um, Maddie always got cheaper gear, cheaper guns. Uh, he actually had one of the guns before it was even on the market. And one year at World Cup, all the gear was lost or stolen. And at, Bob Long gave all the players a new gun, told them go pick one off the trailer. And uh, so. It's not quite the best sponsor, like compared to other sporting events where they absorb a lot of the costs. Um, if you had a lot of success, those um, sponsors were more likely to cover your tournaments too. But being successful uh, in that game consistently was very difficult because it was yeah. based on money. Um, yeah. So I, Texas I'm seeing, Storm was one of the better Midwest teams, if not the best. They actually turned pro. Their sponsor would have them shoot 20 to 30 cases uh, in a tournament. And none of any team that wasn't sponsored, which the majority weren't, um, they might have a, the same, a similar sponsor like we had where they could practice for cheap, 
not necessarily free, but Texas Storm could shoot all the paint they want, and they didn't have to pay a dime. Mm. So you couldn't really keep up with that because no one could afford to beat them. Um, they would just lay so much paint down that, you know, it's hard to beat a team that you can't poke your head out without having all the paintballs flying at you. Yeah, so some of the some of the earlier things you said, I see a lot of similarities between OCR, right? Like there's a, uh, an initial investment to get get in there, and then you have to be at a certain level to start getting some perks back. And then it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's a lot easier if you get sponsors that can provide stuff to you that doesn't cost them anything, right? Like it doesn't physically cost the paintball field anything to let you onto their field for free, right? Like it doesn't cost no. – um, like if CTG gives me – uh, a free entry to their race. Like it doesn't cost them anything to give that free entry, right? Cause it's, they're holding that race regardless. Um, so yeah, you know, getting in with the right people um, and then obviously having the results um, to back that up uh, ahead of time and then kind of leveraging that success forward is, is the way to go. Yeah. And it usually benefited them in a way like ours where we'd help out with the field and. Yep. Yeah. Kind of keep our sponsorship and, so he got a little bit of labor out of it. He got uh, advertising out of it. So, I mean, for a field owner, you'd almost be stupid not to try and sponsor a team to kind of get promotion out there. Because like you said, it's a they don't have to really pay anything to do it. And if they are successful in these local and regional tournaments, they'll bring awareness to their um their field because just like OCR you can't just do an OCR in every city most people have to travel to go play paintball you know there's one in Wichita Bell Plain has one uh Salina but these aren't everywhere you go and it actually grew quite a bit since I've played it's gone up and down but um a lot of people would travel a couple hours for this day-long event not even just tournaments, just recreation. Yeah. So, yeah, we used to drive, we used to drive a couple hours. Um, I lived on growing up, I lived in Long Island and there was like one, one or two indoor paintball fields at the time. And then, mm -hmm. uh, if we wanted to play outdoors though, we would drive up to like Pennsylvania and there was this, uh, this place called skirmish that we used to go to. So. Yep. So yeah, that's, that's another similarity is if you want to play or, whether it's OCR or paintball, you're going to have to travel. I mean, and spend a lot of money. Well, yeah. I guess OCR is not too bad. I can, you could essentially practice or train anywhere you want to a park, your basement, a field, you know, a side of a highway. That's so speaking that's of training anywhere you want. Uh, I understand you have a pretty good backyard setup. So tell us a little bit about that. And then uh, if you could share some tips for anyone else that's looking to kind of, you know, build their own training area. Yeah. So after that first race, uh, I noticed that pretty much every obstacle was just made out of wood or just everyday items. It wasn't anything that was fancy or complicated. So uh, I got on Facebook market trying to find all the scrap materials I could, recyclables, anything, wood. Pretty much if you had wood, you could make anything you wanted obstacle was uh so we have about nine acres out here in leon which is about 20 minutes east of wichita and i have 
uh, a quarter mile loop just in our front yard area that's as long as you don't cut corners it's exactly a quarter mile so I draw up 16 obstacles that I'm going to do and I put them on this piece of paper and my central so I don't have like obstacles scattered on my property I have them in a central location and it's at my workshop slash barn uh, mainly so I can keep things like the Tarzan swing um, gibbons which for those that don't know the floating monkey bars so monkey bars but you're lifting uh, your bar to the next portion of the obstacle I keep those in the shop so weather doesn't you know cause them to wear out so I'll run a lap uh, at a decent pace enough to get me out of breath and then I will do an obstacle so I have a rope that goes up my two-story shop uh, and then I'll do another lap and then I'll do Pegatron so I got a pegboard that is outside but it's out behind my barn and then I'll do another lap and then Tarzan swing and then so on and so forth so I'm able to kind of mix and match and change what kind of obstacles I do and what order I do. Um, sometimes I'll just do grip intensive where every obstacle is just grip. So I'll do 16, four miles with 16 grip obstacles. When the gauntlet's coming up, I have Z board and slack line. Uh, so I'll incorporate those. Uh, I also like to kind of mix it up because it's hard to push yourself to the point like a racing push you know you're fatigued and tired the whole OCR race because you're competing when you're training you're you can't really do that every day or you're just gonna wear yourself out and injure yourself or get burned out so I like to do sprints so I got about a hundred yard sprint length that I'll sprint come back to the barn kind of catch my breath for a second and then do an obstacle and then I'll let myself recover enough where I can go all out sprint again come back to the barn do the next not obstacle just to kind of mimic that uh out of breath uh feeling that you would have in a race and doing an obstacle so it has been a huge advantage for me because like I never even seen Gibbons except on video at the North American Championship. And here we are getting ready to go to London. So I made it out of wood, just two by fours. And uh, the bars were just uh, closet hanger, the rack, cut them to size. So almost everything I have is just recycled goods. Like you, you don't have to necessarily buy the fancy stuff. Um, if you get creative, you can find it go to a junkyard you could probably find everything you wanted from the rope um different grips like the i got playground equipment that people were just giving away for free on marketplace handles bowling pins you know um yeah uh, a baseball so drill a hole through that put an eye bolt mimics that little ball grenade thing that they have at the gauntlet. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. What, um, 
one more question about your barefoot running. So if someone's listening to this and is like, you know, I'm more interested in the, you know, the minimalist, the barefoot running trend, uh, you know, do you have any advice for them if they were interested in making that transition, whether it be for, you know, just, just some additional training or for actually running OCR barefoot? Uh, so they would definitely want to make sure they got callus on their feet. So it's one of those things you got to kind of maintain. So if it's not a lifestyle that you've, you're, you're going to struggle. So out here on our farm in the summer and spring and fall, I'm pretty much doing chores, even chopping wood and mowing everything barefoot. Um, luckily we have no stickers. We have a gravel driveway, which doesn't give me any issues, but I do everything outside of work and, you know, going into public barefoot. So you have to maintain it. And if you can, if you can get yourself there where you do have the callus, I think you would feel a lot better, more comfortable and more natural running these races. Um, people would be surprised how little it does affect you. And I am very thankful because I got hooked up with mud gear. They had some recovery socks at worlds and, uh, he threw me a pair. Actually, I think he threw me a pair at the battle of the lions and, uh, I used them for worlds along with my UFOs after the three K race. And normally I'll have a pretty good soreness in my feet the next day. I had nothing. After that, I wore my UFOs. I wore my mud gear socks uh, for that evening. My body was just shot after the 3K race because it's a sprint. My feet were the best thing I had on come Saturday and Sunday for the races. So recovery, very important. Uh, I was given the tip, never go cheap on your shoes. Never go cheap on your bed. That's where you spend most of your life. So don't ever uh train in something that you know you get at walmart then 15 20 you know um wannabe shoes or you know wannabe running shoes are going to cause you more problems than anything so gotcha. all right now what uh we're gonna start wrapping things up here what what do you have planned for 2022 what events you go so, at definitely going to be doing all the battle alliance um i will be going back to worlds this year up in stratton mountain vermont we were really hoping it was going to be overseas um we loved the london experience i plan to do i'd like to do one spartan even though i think that'll be more of a weakness of mine because it's less obstacles the obstacles have stayed the same for years they're really not difficult to any of the experienced runners. Actually, I see a lot of them have more fun than anything on the obstacles and actually try, except the spear throw. That's kind of the um, the eight ball in there. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of the local events. That way, friends and family can watch um, the Gladiator, the Siege. I'm also going to get into High Rocks. I think that's going to gear more towards my strengths because that's exactly how I train is run weightlift run weightlift just back to back to back for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour which high rocks usually 
to be competitive, you got to finish in about an hour, which I've in my home gym, I've been able to mimic every uh, event they have. And I finish usually about an hour and five minutes, two minutes, and that's non-race mode. Um, I might look at DecaFit, but I don't see those as quite often as I do the high rocks. Um, and Rugged Maniac. Rugged Maniac is a really fun one. Uh, their obstacles are more like engineered and like actually built, you know, look like they come out of a factory. Um, and I think I do very well in that kind of event. Kansas City threw me off the first time running straight up the artificial ski mountain. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to definitely be doing more endurance work. Um, I th my strength is there. It's just, and strategy. This year I'm going to go in with a lot more strategy to races because, again, it's killed me more often than not just by simple mistakes. Um, this last gauntlet one running behind Jay Flores. Uh, Macy was telling me as we're getting towards the end of the race, he's right there. You can pass him. And I was like, I know I'm just pacing myself. Uh, Cause I have all the energy right now to sprint out a quarter mile and we get to that stairway and I was not ready for the slickness. He fell off. I got excited instead of just taking a second to kind of look at uh, freshly painted board, a little wet, trying to slide a little. So I should have, instead of doing the quick hand way, I should have just went in there and kind of chicken winged it, used more of my forearms, and I slid off too. Then I got into panic mode. I tried again and again and fell three times and just could never recover. So, Yeah, that was terrible. That one got easier on the multiple laps. Like it, the first lap was awful. Yeah, because you just weren't you weren't expecting it. Like we were expecting kind of more of the worn out stairway to heaven or even worlds. Like they put uh, in London, they had like some kind of grip. Yeah, they put like, a little uh, grip tape there. So uh, it's terrible idea to paint those. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, I know they're trying to protect the wood, but at least like sprinkle down some. Uh, sawdust or something to put over that paint or under that paint so you can uh, have a little more traction because the obstacle itself not very difficult i mean it's a pull-up yeah. but and then a transition and it was there, there was morning dew on there too and then on top of that it was right after a lake crossing so you had mm -hmm. muddy wet hands morning dew um, once the sun came out a little bit later in the day it actually dried out a little and it actually got easier every lap uh, for continuing yeah but the, that, that first one was, I mean, I, I was, I was like on my way down and I was like, I'm definitely going to fall. This is, this is going poorly. And, uh, I, I had to chicken wing and like hook my arms deep in there to prevent me from sliding off on the way down. Yep. Pretty much every, all of us there at the front. Uh, I mean, I don't know what Ashton did because he's so far ahead that, I mean, he's probably already celebrating at that point. Um, but Jay fell, I fell. The two guys that were behind us fell, which, I mean, it, it's unfortunate because it's just, again, one of those races that one mistake cost me a uh, potential second or third place. Um, 
because I had all the energy to make my pass and I could see Jay kind of kind of breathing hard there um, I'm doing more of that trying to read people um, I know they say it's an individual sport all you're fighting against or competing against is yourself but if you want to be on the podium you really need to try and read who you're running against and what yeah. their strengths are because if you try and push too soon uh i know jay is someone and a lot of those guys ashton you brent you push too soon they'll push right back and you don't you have a little more of an advantage sitting behind them because i've been in that situation where you feel like uh you're running up on the last obstacle and you feel like you got it but that guy behind you made that push and by the time you realized it he's already got the momentum and yeah. passes you yeah so good stuff all right we're gonna start wrapping things up um before we get going we like to ask people tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you so what do you got uh so i had to think about this one a little bit um i think it would be that five years ago ten years ago even when I was looking in the future, the farm life, the country life, I would have said, hell no, not for me. I like the city life. I like having neighbors. I like socializing. I, When my wife had the horses and I realized I'm going to have to get land, I thought this is awful. I don't want this. That's going to be too much work, too much things to deal with. Now, I love it. Um, so this wasn't the life I would have chose, not even close, but having all the space um, to do anything, have all the tools you want, have uh, the space for your own gym, have the space for your own obstacles, uh, store every, essentially any tool that I would need has um, completely changed me. But I mean, I'm a city boy, 100%. Um, other than, you know, I like the hunting, the guns. I was into that all growing up, the lake, the fishing, but. Yeah, oh, similar similar story. I was, uh, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and obviously suburbs there. And I didn't, I didn't think I'd like the middle of the country, and I love it. I, there's, there's no traffic. I don't have to pay tolls every time I drive anywhere. Um, you know, if something's 60 miles away, I'll be there in, an, in you know, an hour or less um versus long island you know it's like oh five miles away yeah i'll be there in 25 30 minutes and uh mm -hmm. that's if that's if, if it's traffic's light today so um very yeah. little interest in moving back to the east coast where you know the house housing houses are a lot more expensive and literally like everything's more expensive so i like the middle oh, of the yeah. country i think it's nice it's cheap it's quick to get around yeah i mean so you would understand my struggle when uh couple of my friends are like, I want to train or I want to come out to your place. And like, but it's just so far, it's like, it's 35, 40 minutes. Like you live in any big city. That's a minimal for anywhere you go. Like, right. And it's a straight, like, like I just looked at you up at like how far away the city you live in is for me. It's, it's about two hours, but I know if I get in my car, I will be there in exactly two hours. It's not going to be like, Oh, well it might hit traffic and it might be three hours or it might be, you know, three and a half. Like, It'll be a very easy drive. It'll be relaxing. I'll put on an audio book and I can, I can just cruise yeah. there. So, which I've been doing a lot of that. Uh, I drive a lot more now for work and going to Wichita and 
uh, doing the home health and it's um, I use that time now to feed feed the brain so anyone out there that if you do a lot of driving turn off the music sometimes and just get some history get some knowledge get some education uh, you might be surprised about or how much you enjoy it because there are a lot of interesting things out there and knowledge is power. I would, I would highly encourage people to get audible. Um, one, if you do get it, go to strength and speed website and there's an audible thing on there. Please click through that. Cause I get a small kickback. It's like a dollar. It's not much, but it's something. Uh, but two, because the, I mean, the amount of books you can, you can read in a year uh, through audible is insane. Right. So like I, I'm listening to books basically every time I drive to and from work. So you can consume a lot more information and it's, you know, it builds and it's, it's valuable. Um, and then I actually also, uh, Kindle Unlimited was having a sale around Christmas. So it was like uh, 30 bucks for six months, uh, which is very cheap. And uh, so I signed up for that too. So I've, I've been binge reading books over the last couple of weeks. Um, so if anyone wants to check out Kindle Unlimited, I would check out that too, because you can read all my books essentially for free. So whatever, whatever the, the rate you sign up for Kindle Unlimited is, you can go there and then you can basically download all these books for free. So that's what I've been doing. I've been um, not reading my own books, uh, but reading other book, other people's books. And, uh, you know, whatever topic you're interested, there'll be some sort of free books available for it. Um, and normally I don't do that just because I'm a little bit more picky about what books I was reading, but uh, kind of diving into some other topics where I didn't really care who wrote the book necessarily. So I started uh, checking that out. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, before, what, go for it. And that's what's nice is whatever you're interested in, whether it's sport, whether it's, you know, religion, history, um, even someone that wants to be a certain profession of maybe a contractor or uh, get into woodworking. There's books out there. You could gain so much knowledge just by your drive, just by your downtime where all you need to do is put on some headphones or turn on some speakers. Yeah. All right. Before we get going, any final shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, et cetera? Uh, Footprints ICT for sure. Um, that's the charity that I run for. They're based out of Wichita. They put socks, uh, new socks preferably, but they will take very lightly used like new socks. Um, they provide socks for the homeless and children in need. So I'm not sure how many, but they have socks in elementary schools throughout the state uh, where kids can just go up and get a new pair of socks, no questions asked. Uh, they also are very involved with feeding the homeless and the shower uh, van that comes through and gives them a fresh shower. And uh, it's pretty simple. They'll take any socks, a dollar pair from Walmart. Uh, definitely want to give a shout out to mud gear, um, that I didn't know what a difference that wearing socks would make. I never even thought about it and UFOs, which I got from your, uh, advertising. I saw the UFOs. Um, obviously if you wear them, saw a couple other guys wear them, they have to work. I put them on. Now my mom's got them. My mother-in-law's got them. My <laughs> wife's got them. Um, and then the, is it Aurora? Aurora, yeah, like he did apparel. Yes. 
just got that yesterday. Uh, put it on. We we're going out for date night, and I had to do a couple things outside. I turned on the preheat, and even that was already pretty warm. I put it up to a high setting. I, I, it almost felt like you're getting a massage on your back because that warmth just going down your spine. So definitely want to give them a shout out. Their jackets are amazing. Um, and then obviously the final one, Battle of the Lions. If you are thinking of doing an OCR, whether you are on the couch the day before or you train for two years, you can do it. Everyone can do it. I promise you, you will have fun. You'll be able to do the majority of the obstacles. And even if you can't, it's no judgment. There are a thousand runners, maybe two or 300 of them actually complete the whole obstacle course. So you are the majority if you don't complete it. People That's just true. walk by. Yeah, this isn't something that you have to uh, be ready, be prepared for. Just go out, get muddy, get wet, have fun, push yourself, and then you'll find out what you can challenge yourself for the next event or the next year. So, so you have four different types, and uh, they gear towards basically anyone in their competitive uh, nature, strength, endurance, uh, grip, and a mixture. You know, see, so you mentioned that most of the people fail something. So when I was working for uh, Tough Mudder at Infinite Hero Challenge, I had, one of the meeting points was at the – it was called Skidmark. It's an inverted wall, basically. So simple inverted wall, nothing tricky about it. And the failure rate there was probably 33% in the open waves, right? Like it's just an inverted wall. There's nothing – you know, it's, it's like eight feet tall. It's slanted towards you. It's got some footholds and some handholds. And uh, mm -hmm. the number of people who walk up to it were like, nope, can't do that, and just walked around. I was like, hmm. So, you know, I think sometimes we get into these small circles where it's, um, you know, you start hanging out with a lot of the competitive OCR people and you lose touch with reality on like what the average person coming to an event can actually do. And, uh, you know, like you said, the majority, yeah, yeah. the overwhelming majority are not doing all the obstacles, like not even close. Yeah, you can't look at, you know, our pictures and videos and get intimidated because that is not the majority. That's not. I mean, I've seen people there that weigh 350 pounds. I've seen people there that are three foot tall and six and a half foot tall. And not one of them, uh, you, every one of them were having fun. They had a smile on their face. Some of the obstacles they couldn't do, no problem. Walk on past. There's 10 people walking with you at the same time. Or try it. Try it and fall. You'll have a good laugh. They're safe. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm trying to push more friends and family. They all say, oh, I can't do it. It's like, yes, you can. And I got to give, I forgot the last shout out to my wife, uh, Macy. I'm sure you've seen her. She's made every event, no matter what, rain, shine, cold. Even the Yeti, when it was almost freezing rain, she was there. Uh, her mom, Mindy Owens, my mother-in-law. Uh, she makes almost every single one of them. Um, them two have made. Uh, she, I think, only missed maybe one Worlds. Uh, she, no, she missed two, two in London, but she went this year. But the amount of time, the hours they put in just to watch a 30-minute to an hour race and then drive three hours back, four hours 
uh, I'm thankful for that because I know some of you guys, uh, seasoned runners, um, you've done it so much that you just, you're in your families. It's just not easy to do, um, to bring your whole family every time. So I am thankful for that. And of course my mom, she's been my number one supporter growing up in sports and competition and then three ladies, I would not be here. Gotcha. Well, appreciate you coming on. I've got a bunch of quick, uh, if anyone's looking for more information, I've got articles all over the place. So Mudgear, check out the Mudgear blog. There's a World's Toughest Mudder comparison article comparing this year to previous years. There's a first-timer's guide to World's Toughest Mudder. Um, that's a good article to read now, again, a couple of months before, and then again right before because it's got tips for kind of throughout the entire year that you're going to want to be reminded about. There's another article called Winter OCRs to Get You Moving. So it is uh, highlighting some of the events that are going on in January, including Casey Timber Challenge coming up at the end of the month and Abominable Snow Race uh, up in Wisconsin. Abominable Snow Race, uh, Dave and Sydney, the Battle of the Lines owner is going to be working on the build crew up there. And Casey Timber Challenge, our local course, always a fun time there that both me and Thomas plan on going to. Uh, there's also on Mudgear, 24 Hours in the Desert. So it's a 40-minute documentary um, about World's Toughest Mudder. Not like a very detailed documentary, but it's, it, it's, if you've been there, it's really cool to show your family um, because they, they show each obstacle individually. It was shot by John Coley of Mudgear. I'm in it a couple times, uh, so you can check that out. I've got two articles over on the OCR report. Now, one of them is what 24 hours of obstacle course racing does to you physically, and another one, what does 24 hours of obstacle course racing do to you mentally? So um, those are two of my favorite articles I've written in the last couple months because it kind of uh, just – just a detailed breakdown that allowed me to take a lot of the experience I've had from the 15 or so plus 24-hour OCRs I've done over the last couple of years uh, to kind of detail that out. I've also got articles on OCR Buddy. We mentioned Rugged Maniac earlier, an article on do uh, inflatable obstacles belong in OCR, so I share some thoughts on that, and a couple of reviews, some product reviews over at uh, OCR Buddy, including Play Out the Card Game. And then let's see what else. Uh, if you're looking to join Strength and Speed, uh, the development team application window is open for another week. So head over to Strength and Speed, look at the blog section of our website and apply a uh, real quick application. And uh, yeah, you can come hang out with the cool kids and join our private Facebook group and get access to knowledge and some free, free swag and some free kit there. And then finally, I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, Jay Mazza. He was one of the guys working at Mutterhorn during World Stuff Smarter that was boosting people up. Um, he commented to me, he asked me a couple days ago asking about, uh, I guess he's got a, there's like a running group that's doing a book club. He's asking if he could use one of my books. And I said, absolutely. So if anyone is in a book club and wants to use my books, you know, just shoot me a message and we can get you a deal. I can send over like essentially a stack at a lower cost than you'd be able to buy, uh, online, either from my website or from Amazon and save you guys some money. All right. I think that's about it. Blegments are back in stock, all sizes, small, medium, large, and uh, extreme and light. And then what else? My new book. Um, going through editing right now and getting some confirmation. Details are, or some very light details are up on the Strength and Speed website. You can go check that out in the book section. Uh, the book's called On Endurance. And I will uh, share some more details with you as it gets closer to publication, but you can if you want to go check out the website and look a little bit more about it, you can. And then finally, if you're looking for more information on Thomas, obviously he is now on the Battle of the Line 
Mudgear Battle Lines Pro Team website. So if you go to botlproteam.com, uh, you can check out the athletes on that link and uh, has some more details about him. And then you'll be seeing uh, some, you know, any other links we have that relate to him up on that website over the next couple of months. Thomas, thanks again for coming on. I will see you at the end of the month. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I look forward to it, man. Mm-hmm.